It's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. Hello and welcome to Monster Mondays. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, co-host of the podcast Film Seizure, that you can catch each Wednesday at filmseizure.com or at a number of podcast providers online. This month of Silent Spooks that also serves as a countdown to Halloween, as well as a countdown to the 200th episode of Monster Mondays, which happens on Halloween, travels to Sweden for a docudrama celebrating its 100th anniversary this year, Hexen. Now, Hexen also gets translated to Danish as Hexen, uh, to English as The Witches, and got a bizarre 1968 U.S. release called Witchcraft Through the Ages. And I'll explain that last one in just a bit. But Hexen was directed by the Danish filmmaker Benjamin Christensen. And for about three years, between 1918 and 1921, Christensen researched and got really into the concept of necromancy to make this movie, the movie widely considered to be his greatest film. Necromancy is the official name given to the usage of magic, sometimes black magic, to communicate with the dead. Uh, this practice usually plays out to summon spirits as apparitions or as visions. It could also mean you could raise the dead. And all this is for the use of divination, as it's uh, thought that the dead could see into the future or simply bring someone back from the dead, or to actually summon an army of the dead, either singularly or en masse, to use as a weapon. Some of that sounds spooky. Some of that sounds really freaking cool, but Christensen was an interesting guy. Shit, he spent two or three years studying necromancy, and I'm guessing he did some interesting stuff with that research. And this movie is looked at from several angles. Scholars often point to the uh, very dreamlike and at times hallucin uh, hallucinatory uh, structure and its imagery in this movie. And I, I don't know if I necessarily pick that up that much, as much as I saw it as here's a scholarly look at witchcraft in certain times of human history. And here is a dramatization of that. But uh, I would almost go so far as to say that Christensen isn't really trying to scare you or trying to warn you about the devil or demons or what have you. He's just presenting these very supernatural concepts in a way um, that can be a little uneasy, particularly when we think about the primary um, theme, I guess, of this movie. But however, Christensen also claims to have really put some of his actors through some fairly harrowing stuff. Uh, he's an early example of a director who would really kind of push the limits of his actors to get their best performance. He was critical of himself for how he carried on during productions, particularly the production of Haxon. Uh, one of his actresses that he even puts in this movie, um, and even states this in the movie, seemed to be uh, uh, in a really scared place during one of her scenes, so much so that she actually made a confession to Christensen about having believed to have seen the devil himself sitting at her bedside. Um, so I guess in some of the scenes in which she's being uh, interrogated by the Inquisitors really kind of put her through the ringer. 
Now, there are also other uh, academics that subscribe to the notion that Haxon can be viewed from a quasi-feminist perspective, too. Christensen's film studies witchcraft and how it oppresses women in different ways in different points in history. These scholars will often point out that these uh, that the things that witches are accused of are typically meant to strike down someone they perceive as having too much independence or power or could obtain an independence or power that could ruffle the feathers of a patriarchal and religious society. There's often an intersection between gender and class. Uh, it's not often the wives of powerful men, thus being powerful women in the community who are being accused of being a witch. Uh, it's often the poor woman or the old woman or the outsider. It's more than just being a woman. Uh, if that was the case, then a bunch more women would have likely been included in the witch hunts that went through the medieval and early modern eras that this movie is looking at. Sure, most of the accusations were thrown at women, but uh, usually the ones that were uh, pretty easy to alienate without getting blowback from a husband and so forth were the ones targeted. Remember, in those times, the easiest way to completely and totally ruin a woman is for her husband to die or for her to never marry. Women held no real power or land rights uh, in many of the places across white societies. But I digress. Christensen had some uh, tricks up his sleeve for Haxon, as it were. Um, there is no plot. It's just a collection of scenes and studies in the history of witchcraft. Then this is told in seven parts. But Christensen would crank the shock value up to about 22 for a film that came out in the early 20s. Uh, he had no problem displaying nudity or gore. And while censorship boards would go nuts on the movie through the years, the movie was still a fair success um it wasn't exactly well thought of at the time by uh by critics some liked uh the structure and some of the the scenery and some of the craftsmanship did not like some of the way that christensen presented the material um but it uh, it was something that that held up over decades and now a very well appreciated silent film from europe um, but while, uh, you know, I mean, he, while this was gaining success with audiences, Christensen was invited to work for a media company in Germany. Then MGM came over to Europe in the mid twenties, looked at the talent working for this media company and sucked all these people up to make Hollywood movies. Christensen was one of those filmmakers to be sent to America, and he made a handful of movies after um, after this and throughout the rest of the 20s. Uh, I don't think many of them were considered to be very successful. In fact, oftentimes uh, he's kind of stated that his or the, it's kind of stated that his movies were artistic failures. Um, almost all of his movies outside of Hexen in the 20s are lost and he finished up the movie house of horror in 1929 and returned to sweden to finish out his career however uh even though he was kind of considered at that time to be an artistic uh failure with many of his movies retroactively he's now been kind of thought of as one of the greatest danish filmmakers of the era 
um, and potentially of all time, um, that he really kind of had a really good eye for the visual. And boy, this movie really, really shows that. But I did mention that there was a peculiar release in 1968 called Witchcraft Through the Ages that would be shown to American audiences. Keep in mind that this was originally a silent movie and had dialogue and narration cards describing uh, what people were saying. Um, There was a lot of stuff that Christensen put in himself as part of his quote-unquote studies um, and his findings. But uh, any silent movie is at least... 10 to 15 minutes longer than the actual content because of those cards and sometimes even more. So the 1968 release here in America removed those cards and instead had a narration from the author William S. Burroughs. The original music from the silent version or the more classical music that would tend to play with the movie was replaced by a almost chaotic jazz score like the kind of stuff that you might think is a good representation of real jazz with no discernible rhythm or what have you. Uh, I'm sure that only made people's brains melt even further by having this jazz score uh, played over the already weird pacing and exposition of the film's visuals. So the movie opens up with Christensen making a statement about how witchcraft and the belief in the supernatural probably dates back as far as mankind itself. Uh, Whenever man is confronted with uh, something inconceivable to him or something he just simply cannot believe or fit into his worldview, it was always blamed on witchcraft or evil spirits and demons. He then lays out the case that, yeah, ancient civilizations like the Egyptians and Persians believed evil spirits caused maladies. As time progressed, the evil spirits believed by the ancient civilizations became the demons and devils that would roam the lands of the Middle Ages and would tempt children and women into doing bad things. This moves along into the early forms of astronomy that explains a geocentric model and how this supposedly worked. On the furthest realm of the physical universe sat God and his chorus of angels that kept everything moving and revolving. Um, Anyone who goes against God gets shoved into the literal center of earth to burn in hell. And Christensen spends a lot of time pointing out details of a pretty bitchin' piece of art depicting hell and all the tortures that take place there. Then he shows off this weird kind of mechanical clockwork depiction and takes quite a bit of glee in how the whole thing is uh, working and depicted. Now back to Earth, Uh, those women who served the devil were burned at the stake as witches. All this is to set up the more scholarly angle of Christensen's research and understanding of historical attitudes towards spirits, demons, and devils, which ultimately kind of gives birth to the concept of witches and witchcraft. The movie takes time to explain how cows would start uh, producing sour milk or how an entire town might be Uh, burned down or how people would get sick and all believed to having been the work of witches. Uh, He talks about the Sabbath and how women would dance naked with devils and how they would eat people and commune with these devils almost like a big dinner party. 
And the first part is really important because it sets the stage of how witches would operate and what they were believed to be blamed for. The second part kicks in with the dramatic interpretations of witches doing things. And uh, the first takes place in the late 15th century and finds uh, what I think could be described as two old hags preparing for an event. A guy brings a hand wrapped in a bundle of twigs twigs and sticks another is messing about with toads and snakes it's probably important to understand that these witches live underground do nasty stuff and are old and have a little dwarf that helps them out it's very clear that it's meant to say that things that are a little outside the norm old hags dwarves uh, pretty uh, pretty girls who are a little too promiscuous for society's liking are um, othered and a problem to the community things get pretty dark in the second uh, part um, and we move into the third part which uh, concerns the inquisition and we're privy to how people would tie up a suspected witch basically binding her wrist to her ankles and then they would basically sink her to prove that she is truly a witch or not a witch basically that chick was dead the moment she was accused um, this would go uh, would also go into how someone would determine if someone was a witch um, a guy shows up examines the sick um, he waves some molten lead in a, a ladle around the guy's body and puts it in water. He pulls out the clump of lead and says, oh, yeah, take a look at this. This guy's dizziness is indeed due to witchy business. And everyone accepts that as truth. And this leads to how superstition was so prevalent in these times that it, was, that it had to be truth if so many believed it. And yeah, the moment a beggar comes to the door looking for food or money, she's immediately believed to be the witch because, uh, she's, uh, because the much more pious or wealthy or youthful just don't uh, like the look of of this person or the poorness of somebody. So they just start accusing pretty much anyone that they don't like the look of. And it's kind of interesting to think that Haxon probably was to an extent meant to be a damning portrayal of how society's treated some people. However, some will still say that while things are done differently today, this was totally in line with their beliefs or religions uh, or how it says uh, these things should be done with uh, anyone who isn't as holy as they are. Uh, there is still a not insignificant percentage of people who may view certain things like open sexuality, homosexuality, gender issues, atheism, or general acceptance of certain groups of people to be irreligious. Um, however, perhaps, and hopefully, most of the people who see this movie have some sort of sympathy for those who were accused and killed for how they were treated by society and basically made to suffer by no fault of their own. Uh, as this old woman is being tortured to give up info about witches and admit to something she very well may not even be, the Inquisitors laugh and celebrate as they take down her testimony. It's pretty despicable, which I think was the whole point anyway. So, yeah. Uh, it's said that for each witch that is caught and uh, interrogated, she turns in ten other witches. So basically it's a never-ending cycle of accusation and capture and torture and accusation and capture and torture. The guy who had the, uh, the lead... Uh, tell his wife and her maidens that he was bewitched 
Yeah, another uh, friend of his ended up being accused. And when his wife tries to defend the woman being taken by the Inquisitors, that proves that the wife must also be a witch. So the whole person who started the idea that perhaps a witch came and cursed her husband ends up being tortured and found uh, and found guilty of being a witch herself. And we don't see it, but it's le we're led to believe that she's killed. Oh, and the maiden who went to the Inquisitors to get the wife that help to find the witch is also accused of being a witch. So also depicted is how the monks and Inquisitors get information from the accused witches. One will come in and offer freedom if the woman will just show him how she does a certain thing that's believed to be witchcraft. In the case of the maiden who helped with the sick guy and his accused wife raise their baby and the one who went and actually got the, the monks and the inquisitors in the first place, um, they even use the baby as a bargaining tool, basically saying, look, tell us what you want. You'll go free and you can help raise this child. If you don't do this, that child is doomed to die because there's nobody taking care of it. And basically all this was to set up some sort of quote-unquote proof that the woman was a witch, even if she wasn't. Basically all this was dirty tricks performed by some pretty bad dudes. Uh, it's stated in this that an estimated 8 million women were burned or killed after being accused of being a witch during the Middle Ages and the early part of the Renaissance. Um, 9 million was also once an accepted figure, but the more modern... Uh, research and history states the number is probably closer to forty to 50,000, which is, by my shoddy math, uh, quite a bit fewer than 8 or 9 million, but still, forty to 50,000 women were accused of being a witch, and most of them, if not all of them, were killed. In the sixth and seventh parts, which make up the final segment of the movie, uh, this talks about superstition of the era and torture devices used to get the confessions. Christensen basically says that the devices were so awful and terrible, it was very likely people would confess to any number of crazy accusations if it meant that they wouldn't get the devices used on them. However, that probably just meant that you were going to be executed in some other awful way, but Anyway, a story is told about a covenant that was suddenly taken over by a contagious insanity. Supposedly, a single nun was given a knife by the devil to cut up and stab a piece of the consecrated host. Um, and even our main man, Jesus, shows up in a quick uh, cameo for the scene. But uh, the nun ends up laughing and making fun of the mother superior, which then causes the other nuns to do the same. And they apparently later all blamed the devil for their actions. Part 7 begins by talking about poor women and those with health issues and how they are now taken care of and taken in by the very religious groups that would have uh, accused them as witches. Um, and they're now being cared for by those groups. In our modern day circumstances that uh, would once have been called witchcraft, are those affected by sleepwalking or hysteria. Many acts uh, those with hysteria would perform were used by inquisitors to prove witchcraft. We see replays of some of the earlier scenes compared to how hysteria is treated and tested, and um, it pretty much all looks the same. It's actually pretty brilliant that the same actors are used throughout the movie to illustrate this. 
um, with a woman who has hysteria, she's caught shoplifting. And she simply explains that her husband died in the war and that she's not been the same since. And she's a sick and broken person. The man, who was an inquisitor in an earlier scene, says that he won't pursue the matter any further if the woman just simply doesn't return to the store. So empathy and kindness has replaced fear and accusation. However, it is still pointed out that hysterical people are quote-unquote locked away in mental institutions and if they are rich they get a pretty sweet deal at a quote modern clinic with nice hot showers and plush robes and kind nurses looking after them then the movie ends with the swedish word for the end slut but let's get to those three things that I like about this movie. First up, I love the first part of the movie with Christensen looking at the old art and old information about the history of our superstitions as a species. Um, the desperate attempt to understand the world and science and medicine, which is almost uh, is really kind of displayed almost cartoonishly um, and very naive. I mean, I guess literally cartoonish as it's all depicted in drawings that looks and feels a lot like comic book art from different civilizations. His utter glee at the stuff uh, going on in the picture of hell and how he points out every single thing that these demons are doing to torture souls is charming as hell. No pun intended. But uh, then his fascination at the mechanical depiction um, of that piece of art and how he exclaims how happy and hard at work the two demons tending to a fire that is boiling souls in a cauldron um, in some ways I can understand that an audience looking at this 100 years ago might look at the depictions of hell or the various religions and mythological statues and yes even Pazuzu from the exorcist makes an appearance here um, how that could possibly frighten some people but he almost treats it like pictures a child has drawn at school that parents have hung up on the refrigerator um, it takes a lot of the bite off of the subject matter and I think that's kind of the intention now, second this movie is really kind of explicit in a lot of ways the first dramatic scene of witches doing witchy things has a woman who seeks help from the witches to make a pious man who is a monk basically fall in love with her both the man and woman are middle-aged and kind of heavy-set people and he's kind of gross and is mostly just seen scarfing food down like a slob and speaking of gross the disembodied hand scene uh, in that part looks really good and almost looks real and the makeup and the effects on the various devils is some next level stuff that I'm going to talk about here in just a moment um, and would have probably been pretty frightening for 1922. But there's a lot of sex in this too. Women's sex drives, uh, if out of control, was connected to devilry and satanic practice. There's um, at least visual reference to potential orgies and stuff like that that would go on at these sabbaths and um it's just it's very it's handled very explicitly and very matter-of-factly it's almost um academic in how yep they messed with gross stuff yep uh the the witches are kind of at least they look kind of gross they're dirty they're old you you don't really you're not meant to kind of feel any kind of kinship with them uh yes women are at times uh kind of making faces as if they're receiving sexual pleasure while in bed or in one of these sabbaths now thirdly this movie 
made a hundred years ago has some really good effects for the time. There are several shots of witches flying on their broomsticks and it's done as a double exposure while uh, still really making it seem like that they're capturing and photographing people flying. Um, there was a little stop motion in play when a witch uh, is watching money she received from the uh, devil dance around in patterns. Um, there was like a little devil guy that was done in stop motion. The makeup effects are amazing. Uh, there's one particular uh, devil that is entirely a prosthetic head, but the mouth moves as he speaks. On top of that, it looks like a real creature and not just a mask. There are a bunch of other devils that are just made up with horns and big ears and big noses and hairy bodies. Um, they do not look like they are wearing makeup. They look like real beings. At one point, we see a bunch of devils that and such get birthed by a witch, and they are incredible looking. There's a skeletal horse that walks around at one point. Um, at one of these Sabbaths. There are pig monsters and cat women that are just kind of spooky to illustrate some of the more wild confessions and accusations of what women would turn into and the types of company that they would keep. The craftsmanship of this movie uh, really should be studied in makeup classes if it isn't already. So that wraps up this week's Monster Mondays. You can catch new episodes of Monster Mondays each Monday afternoon at FilmSeizure.com. Don't forget to follow Film Seizure at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to Film Seizure to get both the Film Seizure podcast and Monster Mondays at your favorite podcast providers as well as YouTube. You can also check out my website, BMovieEnema.com, to read new articles every Friday morning. Next time, we move ever closer to the 200th episode as I cover the only American film of this month of Silent Spooks with the extremely well-admired and well-known 1925 mega-hit, The Phantom of the Opera, starring the incomparable Lon Chaney. So until next week, stay spooky.